All right. So Grace Chapel has always had the foundation of God's word. We are built on God's word. And two, two scriptures, two passages that we have laid the foundation of our church upon is the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commission says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20. And then the great commandment says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. And so we have those, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. And from the Great Commission and Great Commandment, we get five purposes. Fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, and worship. And the way we describe that here at Grace Chapel is that we say that, 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 that we worship God. So we have worship. We worship God as we connect, we grow, we serve and change the world. Five purposes built on the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And the foundation of our church is laid upon those five purposes. If you think about it, our, our class structure that we have, 101, 201, 301, 401, 501, they're all built upon fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, and worship. They're all built upon those things. As you go through those classes, it gives you a balanced understanding of the church. And as we hold on to those, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, if we do all the things laid out in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, we are going to be a healthy church. And the most important thing about a church is that it should be healthy. It should remain healthy. And that helps us keep our focus as a church. We built the foundation of our life groups upon that. We pretty much build the foundation of all that we do on that. There's no guessing going on here. We're not, we're not kind of doing things as we go along and hope it all works out. There's a purpose. We're a purpose-driven church. There's a purpose in everything that we do. So as you go through those classes, we know if you go through those classes that you'll have a foundation for your faith. And then we want to build upon that foundation. So we're in this series called What If? And this morning, I want everyone to think about, I want you to focus on and consider the third of those purposes, ministry. Ministry. And answer the question, what if I could make a difference? Okay, what if I, individually, what if I could make a difference? Now, when you bring that into the church, then we can make a difference as the body of Christ. But I want you to be thinking about yourself a little bit this morning and asking the question, what if I could make a difference? Because so many people have given up on the idea that they can make a significant difference in the world. They've kind of given up on that idea. They've, they've, they've stepped back. You know, honestly, in our culture, you get so many people who just don't want to vote anymore. They don't want to serve anymore. They don't want to give anymore. They see the darkness of the world. They see so much going on. They say it's such a dark world and they get discouraged. And so they, they think when it comes to politics, why even bother voting? There's no one to vote for. And so they give up on that. And why serve? Because what impact can I truly have on this world? They don't aspire to do anything great for God. Even in the church, we see this. 
We see this kind of this mentality sometimes within the body of Christ, not Grace Chapel specifically, but just in general. We see this mentality where, you know, what can I really what impact can I really make on this dark world? They, they never dream or start doing something that could truly impact the world for Jesus Christ. They take it, they take it a step back. They become Mr. and Mrs. Mediocre. Basically living their lives to, you know, eat, go to work, sleep, kind of going through, going through that process and just hoping to get by, right? I just want to get by. I want, I want to live my life. You know, I love my family, but I'm just kind of ho- hoping to get by. They have no desire. They have really no desire to rock the boat before they die, let alone get out of the boat and try to walk on water. You remember Peter? Stepping out of that boat, he might have sunk, but at least he got out, okay? It was his lack of faith that caused him to sink. But we need to have that kind of faith. We need to have that kind of mentality. Not only do I not want to not rock the boat before I die, you want to rock the boat. You want to rock it, and then you want to get out, and you want to try to step out onto the water by faith and do amazing things for God. Have that mentality, regardless of what you see going on around you. Know that God is greater than those things that are going on around you. And having that heart and having that mentality... You see, so many people have lost the desire, they've lost the belief that God can do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine. But that should be, as believers in Jesus Christ, that should be our hearts. That should be our desire. But so many people believe, eh, that's not, eh, that, what you're talking about is for the rare, extraordinary, famous few. Not people like me. I can't, I can't do those kinds of things. See, the truth is, that's a lie. And the truth is also that you were designed by God for a specific purpose. You were created by God to make a difference. And you will and can make a difference. You're going to make a difference in this world. The only question is, there's no question, am I going to influence? Am I going to make a difference? The only question that we're really left with, is it going to be a positive difference or a negative difference? And you can't, you can't just stand still and think, well, I won't have a negative, a negative influence. I won't have, I won't make a negative difference. Yes, you will. If you don't move forward, if you don't make a positive difference, then you're going to make a negative difference in this world. My friends, we were not created and designed to take up space. You were not designed, to, and what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about make a difference in the world, I'm not talking about writing a bestseller. I'm not talking about you're, you're famous and well-known. I'm not talking about the, the greatest of all time in some area of sports, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about investing in individual lives. Every single person here, for the most part, if I said, raise your hand and tell me who that one person is who influenced your life. The reason you are here today, doing what you're doing today, is because of this one person who had an influence on your life everyone would raise their hand and everyone would tell me that person's name because that's what i'm talking about you were designed to influence and impact people's lives even if it's just one person that you invest in that you invest your life in it that one person matters i was in mazalan mexico this past week got there on monday tuesday wednesday left on thursday it was impactful 
I walked into a new children's home that with back to back that we're working with. And um, it was called Rancho. And it was uh, it's a children's home for children with disabilities. And they have disabilities from one gamut to the I mean, some of the kids you'd say, really, that kid has a disability and other kids. It was obvious. But I saw a little boy who was laying on the floor. His name is Victor. And he was laying on a mat. And that's where he spent most of his time. Not neglected. He was very well taken care of. But he, would, he, he couldn't walk. And all he could do was he was 11 or 12 years old. And he, he looked like he was about 5 or 6, 7 years old. And he could roll on his back. And then he could roll up and kind of sit like this and just kind of stare. And his eyes moved different directions. And, and, you know, I'm not saying I was terribly out of my comfort zone. But sometimes you do have to move out of your comfort zone if you're going to serve others. And I saw him sitting there, was by himself. A lot of people were kind of doing other things. And so I decided I'm going to go and just kind of lay down and start talking to Victor. I'm sure Victor had no idea what I was saying because I speak English. And, uh, and I just started investing in him and talking to him. And at first I was a little tentative to, to interact because I didn't know, you know, if, can I touch him this way or can I hold him that way or what can I do? Or maybe I'm doing something wrong. But after a while I just said, heck, he's a little boy. I know I have a little, I have a boy and I know what boy's like. So after a while I started kind of, he'd roll, I'd pull him back and say, what are you doing over there when you should be over here? I kept on saying that over and over again. And he would just smile and he would laugh. He thought it was great. And I thought if he liked that, he'd probably like to rest a little more. So I got a little more rough housing with him. And the more rough I got with him, the more he loved it. So we're rolling. I'm just rolling around the floor, Victor, you know, and he's thinking it's great. He's like this crazy big American guy. I've never seen him before, but he's, I'm having some fun, you know, because I, after a while you're thinking, you know, boys like to be rough and tumble. And I'm sure he didn't, he wasn't breakable or anything. So I started grabbing him and kind of rough and tumble. And we had a great time investing in his life. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That's what Jesus said. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And there will be a time when you and I stand before Jesus Christ in heaven. And he'll say, I had the greatest time in my life that day that you came and you grabbed me and wrestled me on the floor. And I'll say, Jesus, when did I see? When did I wrestle you on the floor? I don't. What are you talking about? And he'll say, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And we have an opportunity as a church to minister to each other in this place. We have an opportunity to minister to people in our community. And we have an opportunity to minister to people around the world. And you'll be hearing more about Rancho and more about what's going on and more of the things that we can do to give to help. They have those children have purpose and meaning in their and they have they have a purpose and a meaning to their lives. And we as the body of Christ can help them find that by creating opportunities for them to be able to serve others. That's something that we can do and something we will do. So you're either going to make a positive or negative difference in the world. And see, no one understood this principle, I think, better than the Apostle Paul. And he, and he says it so well when he writes to the church in Philippi. And I'm going to read you that in a minute or so. But first, I want a little side, a little side note here. Paul is a great example of what can happen when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and let him use you for his glory and to impact the lives of other people. Saul started out, Paul started out as Saul of Tarsus, right? And, and, and Saul was this guy that when his name was mentioned among Christians, they were, they were, they were terrified. They were overwhelmed. You hear that name and because 
Because at this point in, in history, Saul was still persecuting the church. He was having a negative influence in the world. He was attacking and he was killing. He, he was constantly doing this to the church. No one in history has probably persecuted the church more than Paul did or Saul at that point. But Paul. But then something happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. Something happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus Christ. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he and his life was changed forever. His life was changed forever. He understood. He, Paul understood what it meant then to be a servant of God. Not to be someone who was having a negative influence on the world, but to be a servant of God. He understood what it meant to have a ministry to use your life as a ministry, to minister to other people, to sacrifice for other people. Paul understood that. And he also understood, and that's why he wrote so much to the churches about this, he also understood that every single person in this room has a ministry as well, that God has called them to, and that God expects them to implement in their lives. Jesus told Paul, you're a chosen instrument. I want you to, I want you to say that out loud. Say, I am a chosen instrument. Ready? One, two, three. I am a chosen. Yeah, I'm a chosen instrument. Think about that. That God, I love that idea of being an instrument. In some cases you think, well, instrument, you know, something we play, you know, God can, God can play you in a, in that way and make beautiful music through your life, if you will. You're an instrument. You're an instrument. Maybe it's a hammer. Whatever. God can use you. You are an instrument of God's use. And I believe that in the letters to the churches, Paul encourages each one of us to understand that and to make a difference for Jesus Christ and to understand that we are instruments of his, that we are all his instruments to be used by him to glorify the father in heaven and to impact the world in which we live. You know, I've been thinking about this over the last 10 years about the church and the changes that we see in the church. And I'm not talking about Grace Chapel specifically, any church in specific. I'm talking about in general, in the local church in general. And I wonder if, if, if people come into the church and expect the staff to do all the work and do all the service. And they don't choose to do anything except come sit down and then leave. I'm asking the question, is that a church? Go, go look up, go study the church, the body of Christ. Go do a study on that. And then you'll be asking the same question. If, if a mass load of people walk into this building, okay, sit down and then don't serve anywhere or, or engage in service or ministry at any level, okay, and they expect the staff to do it all, or maybe have chosen a few other people who have nothing else to do. You know what I mean? You know those people. Is it really a church? Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. 
Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So what can we learn from Paul here about making a difference for God? What do we what do we learn through that passage? What can we learn about making a difference for God? Well, I have four things that I really believe we can learn. We can learn more than four, but I picked out four things we can learn. The first, if you want to make a difference for God, then then you need to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, it doesn't mean let's get it right up front. You don't work your way to God. You don't you're, you're not you don't earn your salvation that way. It's not by works. The Bible said it's not by works that no one can boast. Salvation is by grace. So what is he talking about when he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? What does that mean? Well, he what it means is that salvation salvation is, is more than just what's happening in eternity, what's going to happen in eternity. It's about the here and now as well. It's about it's about here and now. It's it's really it's talking about living your life for God now and we will ultimately spend time or spend eternity with the Lord. He's talking about your ministry here as well. Salvation is not just about what happens when I die and I go to heaven. It's about how I live my life right now here on this earth to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter one, verse six says, being, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus here and in eternity, the day of Christ Jesus when he returns. So we work out our salvation here. And until we spend eternity with him, you see, Paul is explaining salvation as both a gift of eternal life. We know that you say, yeah, I got saved. Now I have the gift of eternal life and a means of growing spiritually and becoming more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's it's it has to do with eternity, spending eternity with him. But it also has to do with how I live my life in the here and now. And how I conform each day, I walk through my salvation, I work through my salvation to become more like Jesus Christ. That's called sanctification. Sanctification means to be made holy, to be set apart for God's use. Sanctification is an, when you get saved, it's sanctification. It's an ongoing process where you live and serve him now and then it's completed in heaven. So you're serving him now, ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. And ultimately, we get a glorified body in heaven and it's completed there. We are to work with God on developing a state of spiritual maturity through our lives. You came to know Christ. That wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. I said this last week. The Bible says, come as you are, right? That's what people say. Come as you are. But but God never says, stay as you are. He says, I want you to grow. I want you to become more like my son, Jesus Christ. And when you become more like Christ, you begin to act more like Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 is a verse. Write that down. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. It's a passage that we should all know and we should all memorize and we should all understand. And it basically says to consider others better than yourself. Not only looking to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And then it says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. So the king of the universe 
who's been here for all eternity, no beginning. He's always been here. The king of the universe came to earth. And what did he do? Become a king and reign on the throne. So they told everybody, well, you, you do this and I'll tell you. And No, he became, he took on the very nature of a servant, the very nature of a servant. And the Bible says we need to have that same kind of attitude. We are to strive and commit to working, to becoming more like him. That's what Paul means when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We exist. I exist to serve God. I exist so that when Jesus says jump, I say, how high? That is why I exist. And that means serving him through the good times. And it means serving him through the challenging times. You know, you know, you all know this. Life is filled with ups and downs. It's filled with ups and downs. And each experience gives us an opportunity to learn and to grow. And that's what God wants you to do. This, we live in a fallen world. Things aren't going, all, always going to go the way we want them to go. We live in that fallen world. But God says even through the, through the down times, there'll be ups, but there'll be downs. Even through the down times, what he wants you to do is he wants you to take that experience and he wants you to store that experience in your mind so that when an opportunity comes up where you can serve someone else, you can say, I have gone through that same experience. Let me help you walk through that experience as well and he teaches us and he trains us through the ups and through the downs through the difficulties you see that's how we need to live our life god wants us to use every experience that we have in our lives as an opportunity number two in verse 14 it tells us that we can make a difference if we don't grumble and argue see we grumble and argue guys here's why we grumble and argue because because service sacrificing, ministering is really, really tough. It's really difficult. It's cha- There's no doubt about it. You all are very challenging. Okay. I, on the other hand, like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way with the rest of you. Okay. Ask my mom. She'll tell you, call her up. She'll tell you how wonderful I am. No, we're, we're challenging. We're human beings. We got all kinds of issues and problems, right? It, I'm telling you, service is messy, right? Ministry is messy relationships are messy humans are messy but we need to engage in relationship and continue to build he says do it without grumbling or complaining thomas edison said this and i absolutely love it he said he said opportunity is missed by most people because it comes dressed in overalls and looks like work not true opportunity is missed by so many, by most people, because it comes dressed in overalls and it looks like work. Ministry looks like work because it is work. I have not once in my entire life said to my son Joshua, you should go into ministry. You should follow in my footsteps. Because if you are not called into ministry, you will not survive. Some African pastor once told me if the scars of a pastor were on the outside, he would, you wouldn't be able to look upon him. He'd be so hideous. Ministry can be messy. Ministry can be difficult, but we should never shy away. We should never shy away. And that's what people do. You know, when, when there's some good old fashioned, tough, hard work to be done in people's lives, so many people, they shy away from the effort. See, making a difference requires work. 
It's a labor of love, doing, loving, getting involved in someone else's life. Honestly, many times in people's lives, and you, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm reminding you, it's hard work. Getting involved in people's lives is a labor of love. But God calls us to be intentional with how we serve and not accidental in how we live. We need to look at our lives as opportunities. and Everything we go through is an opportunity to be stored and to be used in other people's lives. See, we are not here by accident. We did not evolve by random chance. And God can use every experience in our lives to worship him, to glorify him and to invest in the lives of other people. You did not evolve. You were created by God for a specific purpose with specific gifts to be used to glorify him and to invest in other people. God has a plan but until we grasp every, that we, until we understand and grasp that every opportunity, every experience that we have is an opportunity to serve other people, we are never going to be the people that he intended us to be. See, when we face life challenges, Paul is telling us that we have to have the right attitude. We have to have a, 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 a demeanor, a positive attitude. To keep walking forward, even though it's difficult. So many people don't serve in the church. You know why? You know why you basically many people have checked out of the church? Because they've been to other churches. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying they've been to other churches. And they've gotten hurt. Politics. Oh, right? The po- I can't stand politics. We try to just be straight up here at Grace Chapel as much as possible. Oh, but you say, oh, the politics. I got on the inside. I never want to get on the inside again. I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. You, I'm sorry, you cannot just check out. You can heal here. You can heal for a while. But when you're healed, when you're healed, get out of bed, put on the, put on the armor, and get back in the fight. You can't, you, can't, you can't just check out. I know it's difficult. Paul Harvey said this, a successful person is one who gets up one more time than he is knocked down. A person who ministers, okay, a successful minister, and I don't mean minister as Jeff Greer, I mean you are all ministers for God. A successful minister is one who gets up one more time than he gets knocked down. I, I've decided already that the only way to stop me from serving the Lord, the only way to stop me from fulfilling my purpose is to kill me. Because all I need to do is get a little bit of sleep and get up the next morning, I'm going to keep moving forward. Ministry is difficult. Ministry is messy. Ministry is hard. But you cannot check out from doing what God has called you to do. See, not everything in life is going to go the way you want it to go. Part of our problem in our culture is that we want to be happy all the time. Ask people what their goal in life is. They say, I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Well, that doesn't really work very well. If that's your only goal, that's your main goal in life is to be happy when it comes to some of the challenges and difficulties of life. Because then you don't want to serve other people because serving, serving other people or ministering to other people may not always make you happy. I was talking to the high school students last week. We got into this conversation and we were talking about, I brought up a, 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 a radio show that I was listening to. And on the radio show, they asked this question because it was a call in. And if you get it right, you get the special prize. And they said, and they went down a list of things that people in this culture, the next generation is most concerned about things they really want to avoid. You know, what number two on that list was taking care of their parents. I thought, oh, my goodness gracious, 
are a lot of people in trouble. That's your biggest concern. That's what you want to avoid the most, taking care of your parents. And one of the, one of the students was sharing, one of the, I think it was one of the students was sharing about how they spent time with their, I think at that point it was their grandfather or great-grandfather and people were taking care of him because he was mentally deteriorating and he, he, he was there sometimes and not there other times and, and everyone left and left him alone and his greatest fear happened. His grandfather had to go to the bathroom. So he had to help his grandfather into the toilet and sat him down and went to the bathroom. But then grandpa couldn't wipe himself. So he had to get the toilet paper and wipe his grandfather. He said it was really difficult. But when it, when it was all over, the, the experience of ministering and serving his grandfather was so meaningful to him. And I said to the students, and I said, I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm really not trying to be funny. But you cannot have the mentality that your worst experience in life is going to be taking care of your parents. I said, you know, your parents wiped your butt for a long time, and maybe you have to return the favor at some point. It may be. I don't know. Maybe you won't. Maybe you will. But you know what? They loved you and invested in you, and they cared for you, and they, they sacrificed for you. And there may come a time where you have to sacrifice and invest in them. That's one of the greatest privileges. My grandfather was an alcoholic, abusive man for me most of my life. And I, I couldn't stand him. I really hated him when I was younger. I wasn't a believer. I hated him. And as time got, went on, I became a believer and I, I went into the ministry and we started talking later in life and we had some really good conversations. I really enjoyed talking to him. And he later, even later than that, he got cancer. I remember being in the hospital with him and I was reading scripture to him and I led him to the Lord and I was able to baptize him. But I was sitting there by, this, by the bed of this man who had caused me so much pain and grief in my life. And he started to cough, and he would cough up this horrible, this, this mucus stuff that would come out of his mouth over and over again. And I would wipe his face off. I'd get down and wipe his face off, and I would take care of him, and I'd read scripture to him. One of the greatest things I look back on, one of the greatest experiences of my life, that God gave me the privilege, that God gave me the honor and privilege of serving my grandfather at the end of his life. It's something I think about all the time. You know, that's, that's what makes us who we are. We are servants of Jesus Christ. Regardless, I could have said, why should I wipe the spit off that old man's face? What did he ever do for me? I had a couple good conversations later on. No. I had the privilege of serving my grandfather before he died. I had the honor because Jesus, again, we're gonna, I'm going to get to heaven and he's going to say, thank you when I, was, when I had cancer and I was laying in that bed that you wiped that spit off my face. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That's what God wants for us. Not everything in life is going to go our way. And you've got to get, you've got to not let your emotions dictate your actions. I know there are situations. Now, if you're in an abusive situation, someone is dangerous, you, there's nothing wrong with avoiding that person. This was not my case at all. He was not dangerous. Never physically abused me, just verbally was abusive. And, it, and that changed later on. So I was able to engage with him. My family was able to engage. I'm never going to say, you go, that person's abusive to you right now. You avoid that person. They're dangerous. You pray for them. You stay, you stay back. You can forgive someone, but you don't have to trust them. Okay? Forgiveness can come very quickly. Trust takes a very, very long time. I want to make sure I say that because I don't want anybody feeling guilty about not, taking, you know, not engaging someone who's a dangerous person in their lives. But when we get to the point where we have tough times in our lives, we've got to make sure we're not arguing and complaining that, that, that doesn't become who we are. That we have that negative attitude that's never going to serve Christ. Don't allow, like I said, your emotions to begin to dictate your actions. Minister through the challenges. You see, 
I said it, I said it just a minute ago, ser- serving people is very messy. But I want you to listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, we are, we are, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Hard-pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. See, Paul's telling us to sacrifice self in service to others. Here's one of the things that really irks me, okay? In our modern church, the attitude now is serve us, not service. People walk into churches, and I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing Grace Chapel. I think we're a very, very healthy church. I'm very, I love you. I'm thrilled to be the pastor here. This is a privilege. I enjoy what I do. Okay, let me say that. But in general, in the church in general around the country, the attitude is serve us, not service. I come walking through the door, you, you take care of my kids, you take care of my teenagers, you take care of my this, you take care of that. Do you have this program? Do you have that program? Do you have this and that and this? And you, and you do it. And you say, well, gosh, yeah, that would be great if we had that. Can you maybe do that? Well, I don't have enough time, but I want to make sure you serve me. I walk through the door, it's serve us. Here we are, serve us. But where did service go? Where did ministry go? Where did the body of Christ go where I offer up what God has given to me, my financial resources, my my human resources to the body of Christ so that we can take care of those in need so that we don't have to worry. Well, gee, wouldn't we love to build that farm next to that next to that children's home in Mazelon where those kids can go out and plant some seeds and grow some things, which we have land. But now we have to think about, well, how much is that going to cost? Whatever else. How about we sacrifice and give and serve so that we can do some of those things so those kids can get up in the morning and say, I'm going to to grow something, to give to someone else who needs something to eat. Wouldn't it be amazing if a kid with disabilities realized he was getting up every morning and serving someone else instead of constantly being taken care of? But that comes when people sacrifice, when people serve, when people have the attitude that I am here to serve. I'm not just here to be served. Are you here to be served? You're darn right you are. My job is to, is to feed you spiritual food and protect you from spiritual harm. That's my job. And to train you up to do the works of service. To train you to do the works of service. I am not here, nor will I ever be here to entertain you. Never. The band will never be here to entertain you. I am, we, are not, we are not a church that is here to entertain people. We are here to serve you with all of our hearts and inspire you and motivate you and strengthen you and encourage you to use the gifts that God has given you so that you can go out into this hurting world and make a difference for Jesus Christ. Number three, we can make a difference by living a consistent, distinctive life. In Philippians chapter two and verse 15, it says, so that you may become blameless and pure. We need to live this life with tenacity. We need to live in a way that is right. And we need to be consistent in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to live different. The Bible says live differently. Live, live so that people see you and they, and they are drawn into a relationship with me. We need to exchange our pessimism for perseverance. And I'm telling you, some are still sitting here and you're pessimistic and you're negative and you're frustrated and you've had those experiences. And I, I want to sit down with you and I want to encourage you and I want to pray for you and I want to try to strengthen you and we'll get a Stephen minister to come alongside you and we can get counseling for you and do all those kinds of things. But then, then my wife always asked the question, Now what? 
go through the process of healing. And then now what? And now the now what is to step out in faith and continue to persevere. See, we can't be like everyone else who is blown and tossed by the wind, the tall grass. You ever see tall grass in the wind blown and tossed? I have a couple trees in my backyard. I have weeping willow trees and I have oak trees. You know what happens when a big wind comes to the weeping willow tree? It's like, oh, it's like, holy man, it's all over the place. You're like, don't bust, don't bust, don't bust. The wind blowing against the oak tree is what we should be. We should be oak trees. The wind blows against that tall, strong oak tree. And you know what happens? It just stands there. And it's, it's like the tree says, bring it on. I'm not concerned about you. It takes a hurricane almost. We had a hurricane come through you. You know what? My oak trees are still standing. Tornadoes have come around, and many times, even through a tornado, not all the time, but even through a tornado, the oak trees are still standing. That's what God says. You need to be like them. You need to live holy lives. You need to live different lives. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 continues, Children of God without fault in a warped warped and, and, and crooked generation. We need to live such distinctive lives that the world looks at us and is drawn into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, people do social justice in the world. I think it's totally fine. I don't think anything's wrong with it. But you know what? Social justice is not always service for Christ. And when we do something, we need people don't need to be confused about why we're doing it. They need to know exactly why you're doing what you're doing because you're doing it because you're a servant of Jesus Christ. We need to strive to live a life that is above reproach. God calls us to live in such a way that we draw, we minister to non-believers, people who don't know Jesus. You remember the word witness? How many people remember the word witness in early in your Christian life? Right. Yeah, it's amazing. When I, when I, got, when I came to Christ, my youth pastor, okay, and the pastor of that church talked about being a witness. What does that mean? Be a witness. It means to be, it means to live a life in such a way that when people see you, you reflect Jesus Christ. Now I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm being too honest maybe this morning, but I can't hardly tell the difference sometimes between a Christian and non-Christian and how they behave in general. It's difficult to tell the difference. And God is saying, no, be set apart. I want you to be set apart. He says this. He says in in verse 15, he continues. And this is number four. He says, if you're going to make a difference, he says, be a bright light. Okay? Be a bright light or a bright life. In in, In chapter 12, verse 15, it says, like stars. How many of you have ever gone out? And you've, and you've looked up at the sky and you've just been in awe of the beauty and the majesty of all the stars. Absolutely, you were amazed. There's something amazing about the night sky. And it's amazing too how, how bright it is. And when is it, when is it most bright? When do the, the stars shine the brightest? They shine the brightest when it's the darkest. And we sit around sometimes and say, I don't want to vote and I don't want to do this and I don't want to serve and I don't want to get engaged because we're living. So remember I said in the beginning, in such a dark world. But you know when the stars shine the brightest? When it's the darkest. And we are some, we, in, in some ways we are in dark times in our culture, in our world. We are in dark times. But God can shine the brightest. God will help us shine the brightest when it is darkest. 
people will be drawn into relationships with Jesus Christ even more now because there's such a distinction between light and darkness. I remember living in Virginia and in Virginia, there was where, I, where we lived, there was no big cities around. There was no there was no lights and you can lay in a field and you could look up and it was like a canopy of stars. There were honestly, there were more stars in the sky than were than you could see the darkness up there. The darker it is, the brighter the light shines. And that's what God is calling us to be. God is calling us to be salt and light in this world. In the darkness of this earth, God is saying to each one of us, we need to be that light. You need to be that minister to that group of people. You need to invest in that group of friends or the people at work. You need to be that light. You need to be that salt in their lives. So the only question left is, the only question left for us to answer is, what has God called you to do? How has God called you to minister? That you cannot leave here without asking that question. What has God called you to do? How has God called you to ministry? Minister, our church is trying its best to create an environment where people can use all the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given them. We're trying. Whether it's work, Market, being a marketplace minister or being a minister in your, on your campus, being a campus minister in your school, whether it's serving within the church or within your community, we're trying to do, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be doing our first seminar, our first business free, basically business free seminar in the Orca Center, uh, tomorrow night at 6.30. We have one of our, one of our, um, elders, Will Housh is going to be there and he's going to be talking to pe- business people within the community, within the church of how to build an online business, how to how to enhance or build your online presence. Great opportunity to invite people who've never been to church before and minister to them. They're struggling in their businesses. What is the best way to help someone to help them in areas where they're hurting the most and their felt needs because then you've earned the right to be heard. That is our desire. And my friends, there are so many opportunities. There are so many opportunities for us to serve, whether it's in our own church, whether it's in children's ministry or youth ministry or the life groups or you name it, women's ministry, men's ministry. Pick a place to serve. Pick a pastor or a staff person that you want to come around and engage and invest with them. There are places to serve all around the world. I talked about Mazalan. I talked about I talked about even in Nigeria things we're doing in Nigeria all these places need business people people with an with an open heart people want to sit down with people with, with children with disabilities and just engage them and love them I literally taught two little boys okay they weren't little they were 16 and 17 they were they were in wheelchairs and they could hardly move and I was I was teaching them taekwondo and I thought, I'm just going to show them. Maybe they'll enjoy this. And as I'm standing there, I turn around. Uh, literally, two little boys in the chair are going, they're, they're putting their hands out and they're trying to get their hands down and they're sticking their arms out and they're doing it with me. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. That is ministry. And we, each of us, need to find out where God has called us and engage in those areas of ministry. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord God, that you've given us breath in our lungs and opportunity to reach out and touch this world in a positive way. I pray, dear God, that not one person would leave this place without recognizing that you have created them, they have purpose, and that they would desire to find out what that purpose is and how they can serve you and how they can minister to others. We love you. We praise you. We pray that you would impress that upon our hearts and that we would be changed people leaving here 
more conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, than when we came in. In his name we pray. Amen. Have an awesome week.